0: We've got another word from Tomas. Buenos dias, hermanos.
1: Dios los bendiga. Means God bless you. Okay, so that is good. I promise you, that's good. Dios los bendiga. Ah, uh, like, what is he doing? He's waving the hand. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's amazing when the Lord does impress things upon our hearts throughout the weeks, right? That's a blessing. But it's. I think it's also probably been so much more beautiful when He impresses something upon him that morning. And that was this morning, just as we've been talking about and we're worshiping and we're going through the season right now of the Christmas season, right? The giving season where most of us are hopefully ready to give, but a lot of us are also ready to receive. Let's all confess that, right? But, but you know what? We all know, man, it's not about that. It is not about that. And we can get excited about the gifts that are under the trees and what you're going to unwrap and what you're going to wrap. But I just wanted to, this is what the Lord was impressing about my heart. He says, Tomas. You've already unwrapped the most beautiful gift. The day you said yes to me, the day you said yes to me, that was a gift of eternity and one that will not rot, one that will not spoil, and one one that costed you absolutely nothing. Amen. Nothing. That's why we call it grace. And I just wanted to remind us of the beauty of that, just so that we don't get caught up in this season of... <clears throat> of just, you know, gifts and all these things. And I love the message that our brother Joe gave just a couple weeks back about really being present in the moment about those that we're spending time with, but more importantly with Christ. And, um, and, and I just, you know, we live life and we all know that this life is short. We just lost a brother and, um, and uh, been, as he's been promoted, as you say, and you know what? I th- at the end of the day, all that matters is when we meet our maker. I tell you what, if I'm as a father, and I have my youngest son, Ivan. First of all, I love you guys. I wouldn't give him up for you. I confess that. I confess that. But the love that the Lord has for us, he did give his son up for us. But had I given up my son for you, had I really had to sacrifice my son for you, and, I re- and then I realized that you just threw your life away over it, that's heartbreaking. So when we meet our maker, there is a responsibility when he says, what did you do with my son? That is the most important thing, how we lived our lives. And I just wanted to remind us of that because we can get so distracted with this world so quickly and it's frustrating. But man, we got to stay focused on the cross. And I just wanted to remind all of us, including myself, of not only this season, but this life. This life is about that life. Amen. Love you guys.
0: I love it, brother. Thank you. I love how God um, stirs somebody. Remember when I said, Can I preach at you and you just listen? That was the message I was going to share. Yeah. Seriously. And then I got sidetracked onto something else that was on my heart. So I love that the Lord steps in and goes, Ty, you screwed up. But you know what? We're going we're to, gonna, Tomas is going to make up for that. God is so good. God is so good. Joe, come on up. We want to pray pray over you. Father, we thank you for Joe. We thank you for all of the ways that you've been working in his life uh, through health, through sickness, through strength, through humility. Um, God, we just pray that uh, what you've prepared in his heart and in his mind and uh, through technology, it's sitting on his pad right now. Father, I pray that... um, He would deliver that in a way that brings you glory and honor. And we just thank you for what you're about to do through him. Pray that our ears are open, that we hear what you have for us, each and every individual, Father. Um, We pray that you filter whatever comes out for for each of us so that we hear what you want us to hear individually. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
2: morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Literally a week away. You're all prepared, right? <laughs> However that might look for you and your family. Um, I'm a, uh, I like to prepare early. Um, my wife likes me not to pressure her. And so we find balance in life around this season. Um, We've been, we've been walking through the book of Acts so far. We're not very far in, but I feel like we've already hit on a lot. Uh, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about salvation only coming from God. we talked about faith and miracles. And today we're gonna have a real short talk on everything the prophets have said. Um, and it took a minute. <laughs> you had to think about that one. <laughs> um, the interesting thing going through Acts and these different sermons that we're going to be reading about yeah. is there are certain phrases that they utilize, and it's, when I take them to their fullest extent, it's like there's a lot there that needs to be unpacked that they all understood in the audience. They all have the background. They all have the understanding. And so taking that time to really flush out what they already know... Um, And so we really are going to look at what the prophets said about these times and about the Messiah. We won't go through every single thing they said, but we're going to take a a nice glance through. Um, I'm not going through a huge section of scripture this week, so I'm going to read it all first, and then we're going to comment through it as we walk through. So to Acts 3, it says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets Moses said the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And that's actually the end of his preach to the people right after the healing of the man who was lame from birth. And we're going to get into the the trial they're going to have afterwards in the week's after Christmas. But it's interesting this, it's really emphasizing the prophets and it's really emphasizing all the things they said. And as I read through this, I'm really glad we already talked about Genesis and Abraham because I don't have to tell anybody about this. You were all, most of you here for that. Um, Talking about these promises that have been made. But when we look back at that statement, all the prophets and all the things they said, the question arises for me is well, how much did they say? How many prophecies are there about the Messiah and about these times? And so you can find the answer to that with a quick Google search. You can actually find a lot of answers to that with a quick Google search. And it really depends on how you define the question. Because I found some people saying it's just a little over 100, maybe over 200, maybe over 300. And I found people that said none. And we're going to talk about that for a little bit as well. Um, but it's interesting the way some people define this and argue against this, about which prophecies are about Jesus, which prophecies are about the Messiah, which prophecies are about these times. And some people define it by, is it this whole passage is one prophecy? So if we look at just Isaiah 53, you could say, well, that's one prophecy. But I saw someone else who said, well, that's about 33 prophecies all in that one passage so you have to look at how are we defining the question and so that aside there are a lot of things that are said there are a lot of things that are packed into these passages about Jesus but I do want to focus for a little bit of time on the people who say none because those are the people that he's talking to right now because if we take the context of the passage we're looking in none of these people believe Jesus was the Messiah Mm -hmm. they were there They'd been around for the last three years. They'd heard about all the things. They were, they're being accused of being in Jerusalem when Jesus was put on trial. So they didn't believe he was God. And they're familiar with all these prophecies. So why didn't they believe he was God? So we're going to dive into this. We're going to first let Jesus comment in on this um, because it's always good to hear what God says. (laughs) Out of Luke 24, and he said to them, and this is on, this is the They're on the road to Emmaus. So we're going back in time just a little tiny bit. When Jesus had just been crucified, he had rose from the dead. People are, the apostles are really distraught about what happened. He meets them on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him. And they're saying, well, haven't you heard? And he says this. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now why did he need to do that? I would agree, it can't be Nuntai. There are several prophecies in there about Jesus and the Messiah. And when we look at those, when we read those regularly, I think the vast majority of us go, of course that's about Jesus. How could that be about anybody else? But there's a certain confirmation bias that's there because you already believe, or I'm gonna say the vast majority of you already believe, and hopefully if there are any of you that don't, you will believe by the end of the sermon. (laughs) But you already believe Jesus is the Messiah. You already believe that his, he was actually crucified. You already believe that he was actually there. Because there's a lot of people that don't. They think it's all just made up. They think it's just what are they, religious fiction. They don't think any of it actually happened. But we already believe that it did. And so when we read these things in these prophecies, in these scriptures, we can see that that line's right up. Now that we already believe. And these things have been explained and they've been recorded to us through scripture, through the works of the apostles, through the writings of Paul, when they refer back to those different things that have been said. And we've heard about it for many of us that grew up in the church, most of our lives, they're constantly being referenced. But if you don't believe and you don't want to believe, then you're looking for ways for this to not point to Christ. Because here's the challenge. Because there are challenges that exist. And I'm going to talk about three specific ones. And I'm going to let the prophets define them for us. Remembering that this whole talk is about what the prophets told us. And the very first challenge is that God himself is a stumbling block for people. Out of Isaiah 8, it says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So it's an interesting thing that's being proclaimed here. God will become both a sanctuary for us. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he is your sanctuary. He is your rock of salvation. But for those who don't believe, those who are having trouble with it, those that struggle through this idea of God in general or Jesus as God, he's a rock of offense. He's a stumbling block. He's causing them to fall and to be destroyed over it because they don't want to believe it. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, you have to redefine your life. You have to change your expectations of how am I going to go through this life? How am I going to look at all of the decisions I make? Because I'm no longer the God of my life. If Jesus is indeed God, that means I'm not. And so then we run into people who really struggle with that. I don't want to give up control over my own life. And so that means Jesus can't be God. And so we're going to run into the second problem of wise foolishness. And it's supposed to be contradictory. <laughs> out of Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars, who makes fools of diviner, diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. So this, we have this idea, we have these wise men, full of knowledge, not saying anything to that they're actually fools, but he's making their knowledge foolish. And if you look at our times, I mean, we spoke about this all last week, we got a lot of knowledge that we we're trying to convince ourselves of a certain reality, but God defies reality. And when he enters into it, it makes all of that knowledge foolish, because you can't explain away a miracle. That's right. You can't explain away God, no matter how much you try, you can't actually do that. At the end of the day, the two arguments take a measure of faith, that either God doesn't exist, that takes a step of faith, because it can't be proven, or God does exist, and that takes a step of faith, because it can't be proven. You have your experience, you have your life, you have your personal account, but I can't write down a proof for you that we can show to the world, and no one will ever be able to argue with. Inherently, it takes faith. But at the end of the day, when they all meet their maker, that wisdom will be foolish. All of that knowledge isn't going to amount to anything when they meet God. And it's this struggle that people have. It's a very real challenge for people that they feel that they have outthought God. And that God couldn't possibly exist because of the thoughts that they personally have. And a lot of this does also come from the final challenge. And that final challenge I've labeled as riddles. The difficult ways in which God has communicated to humanity. And we'll just call it as it is. There are some difficult things that he said that are hard to understand. Out of Psalm 78, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching." Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. That translated into dark sayings, that word can also mean riddles, an enigma, a perplexing saying, or a hard question. Something that's difficult to understand, something that's difficult to accept. And God communicates in these ways. And when people read them and then go, well, that's not how I interpret love or that's not how I interpret justice or that's not how I interpret, they're setting themselves up as God. And that doesn't make sense to me, so therefore it must not be. It's a stumbling block. It's a rock of offense. It's a very real challenge that exists towards them believing that Christ is Lord. It's the thing that these people in this time were facing because at this point, they didn't believe Jesus was God. Peter's preaching to them to repent from it. These are the very same things they were stumbling on then. They're the very same things we're stumbling on now. And sometimes it's just going to be easier to say, This doesn't make sense, then Jesus is God and I have to change everything about my life. And that is often the choice many make. And so now, Peter continues in the passage, he continues in his sermon, and essentially he says, Now let's imagine for a moment that this Jesus is the person that's been spoken of. And Moses told us that there was going to be a prophet like this. Let's look back at the first prophet. Let's look at what Moses said. Out of Numbers 12, and he said, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you. Oh, I've got to give a little context to this. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, We want to know what the prophet like Moses is going to be like because Moses was a prophet unlike any other. Out of the rest of the prophets, there was no one like him. (laughs) And very specifically, the passage I'm going to read, it's going to be God talking to Miriam and Aaron. Miriam and Aaron are Moses' older brother and older sister. They were help leading the people with Moses. But Moses is the head of the whole nation, and he speaks directly to God. And Aaron and Miriam were getting a little uppity about that. Well, don't we hear from God? Why is Moses the one in charge? Why aren't we the ones in charge? And this is what God says to them. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. In a vision, I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. A lot of translations say, as a friend, face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This is the prophet like Moses. This is the same kind of person. Someone who fully understands clearly the will of God. And their actions are the will of God. And their words are the will of God. And how were you not afraid to speak against my servant? That's the parallel that's being drawn here. It's saying this is that prophet. Jesus is that person. Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I will hold them to account if they don't believe the servant who I've sent, which is Jesus. This is what Peter presents to the people who have chosen not to believe, who've looked at it all and said, I'm not going to buy it. And he says, this is the prophet. And this is what God has said about that prophet. And that if you don't listen to that prophet, he's going to require it of you. And the response always, whenever he gets to this part of his sermon, is repent. Turn around. This isn't the end of the story. There's still a chance for you. God has still made a way, despite all the choices you've made, despite all that you've done, despite that you didn't believe, despite that you were happy that he was put on that cross. You can still repent. Out of Isaiah 1, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has always, throughout all of his prophets, throughout all of his words to his people, implored people, just turn around. Look back at me. Look back to God. Turn from your ways. Repent at them. Put them behind you and I will embrace you as your father. Ezekiel 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. It's the opportunity given. It's been the opportunity proclaimed, and the day has arrived. A day like no other, a day that's spoken about in Isaiah 11. And Isaiah 11 is talking about the righteous branch from the stump of Jesse. And that sounds really weird if you've never heard about this before. (laughs) But the idea is Jesse was the father of David. And it's saying that through David's lineage, there's going to come the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that's going to have the eternal rule and reign. And when that righteous branch sprouts, when that person comes into this world, it's going to change everything. Go read Isaiah 11. It's going to talk about all of that, but it's going to talk about the opportunity for everyone after all of that in Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12 says this, you will say in that day, Peter's talking about this is that day. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy he will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. An opportunity has been given to each and every one of us. An opportunity has been given to you, Peter cries to the people. So turn, repent, that the times of of refreshing might finally come. (laughs) And the idea that they needed refreshing because there's something wrong with them. They don't even realize it. Jesus speaks of this in John 6. Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's not talking about bread and water. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day the thing that they don't realize is that they've been spiritually dead and they've been spiritually dead for a really long time. God spoke to them about this many, many times, about the stiffness of their neck, the hardness of their hearts, the foreheads like iron, a people that won't hear, won't listen. It's just a stubborn, stiff-necked people. You need a new heart and you need a new spirit And when you find that spiritual regeneration, you're going to need to sustain the new life. And that's not going to come from bread and that's not going to come from water. It's going to come from the bread of life, which is Jesus and the word of God. You're going to draw it from the wells of salvation to stave off your thirst. Out of Isaiah 55, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters of, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you l- your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast sure love of David. When we come to Christ, we receive spiritual regeneration. Your spirit comes alive and it needs to be fed and it needs to be nourished and it needs to be given the things that bring true and eternal life. he says, after this, he's going to send the Christ, which has been promised to you, which is interesting because he doesn't often, Peter doesn't often say this in his sermons. He mostly talks about, you're going to be sent the Holy Spirit immediately. But he's saying, believe so they might send the Christ. But that's not going to happen until certain things take place. Because that's his second coming. Out of Matthew twenty-four, fourteen, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And the idea of, I need you all to believe because I want Jesus to come back. Because until we've told everybody He's waiting in heaven. So believe, people, because the more people are on mission together, the faster we do this. Peter wanted Jesus to come back imminently. Let's move. Let's get on this now. And this is what he's proclaiming. Believe so he can come back, so we can go into the eternal refreshing, so he can come and restore everything, because until we've told it to all the nations, don't expect to see the Christ again. His Holy Spirit will come amongst us, but if we want Him to come back, if we want that eternal rule and reign here on earth, we've got to tell everybody. Isaiah 52. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You've been told, and you've been told first. You have such wonderful opportunity. O oh, precious Jerusalem. God sent him here to you first and this wonderful amazing daunting opportunity is before you Ezekiel 36 and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey up my rules You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And it's such a beautiful and wonderful thing. And this was Peter's message to this people at this time right before him. But how does this apply to us? How can we take this for ourselves today? And I think the first part of the reality is that although this message was given to Jerusalem first. It was given to the Jews first. It has also come to us. It is also for all peoples. And we have been grafted into this family. We've been grafted into this opportunity. And we've been tasked with carrying God's light into the world. Out of Matthew 15:14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it may be seen your works, maybe see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God brought his light into the world, and he gives it to you. He says, let it shine. Let it shine for everyone to see that they can come to me. And that is both amazing and incredibly daunting. It's so going to require a massive change in our lives because we're going to be going to people that we might not even know. We're going to be called into uncomfortable, difficult situations. But be of good courage because God is with you. And of Ezekiel 37, it says, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jesus says, my Father and I will make a home within you. I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. God is with you through all of it and he will bring you peace through it. There will be difficult times, there will be struggles, there will be challenges, but God will bring his peace. Out of Isaiah 12, 1 through 2, once again, it says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Amen. Would you stand with us? Oh, Joseph, what a
0: word. I tell you what, you get his notes on like Thursday, and you go, where's this going? (laughs) No idea how you weave those together. That was just brilliant. And, and one of the things that, that was on my heart, uh, musicians, please come on up. Sorry, I'll talk for just a second here. Um, <clears throat> through the testimony today, uh, through the word that's been delivered, through the scriptures that we heard, um, imagine struggling to pay your um, electricity bill. And it's Christmas time, and you have a gift under the tree. And in that box, there's a $1,000. And you don't open it. And you go without heat month after month through December and January and February. Christ is a gift, as Tomas mentioned. The gift is under the tree. And I get the sense here this morning that despite the fact that there are lots of servants and a priesthood of believers here, there are also some that are standing on the other side of the line of faith. And if that's you, there is a gift. You may feel like you've wandered away from some of the things you learned as a child. That's part of your journey. God stands outside of space and time. He doesn't look at you as though if you believed in him once and you you think you maybe have wandered away that you're lost. He's calling you back. The gift is there. It needs to be opened. And if you don't open it, Joe's done a great job this morning of presenting that gift. It's there. Christ wants you. He died for you, and salvation and eternal life awaits you, but don't be like the Jews who missed it. Don't miss it Christmas after Christmas. When you look at the gifts under your tree this season, if that's you, don't leave it unopened. We're going to take communion right now, and all those who believe are going to come, and we're going to participate in the broken body of Christ and what he did for us. We're going to drink the juice and we're going to remember his blood that was spilled for us. And we're going to remember this amazing gift and we're going to give glory to God. And we're going to bring our whole selves forward and thank him for what he's done. And if you have a love gift or an offering, the boxes are in the front. Participate in this as the body.